Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. Let me take an opportunity to say good morning to those watching online because I'm sure there's a few of them this morning and uh, it's all good though. And we are so glad that you decided to come and worship with us today. I don't know if you're anything like me, but this morning when I got dressed, I was a little nervous. I was putting on my shirt. I was like, come on, button. I will squeeze it in there. Come on. And uh, hopefully it, it, it's fitting okay. We'll see. I'm not going to bend down because that would be bad. But anyways... It is good to be with you, and as we've been preparing, I've been preparing for this last message in this series of The Church Unleashed, we have gone on a journey through Acts, and as I was thinking through this morning and thinking about the message, it reminded me of one of my favorite things to watch and to cheer for, and for me, that's the Olympics, but let me go ahead and say this. I am more of a summer Olympic fan than I am a winter Olympics. Curling is fine, but if a bunch of dads who've been sitting on the couch can win a medal, it's kind of weird, right? And so if you're like, hey, my aspiration is to be a curling champ, go for it. Do what God's called you to do. You're not that athletic. But anyways, but I love the Summer Olympics. And one of my favorite events in the Summer Olympics is the 4 by 400 meter relay race. It's an awesome thing. I, I feel like a runner. Even though I'm not a runner, I got two new hips. I'm only running if someone's chasing me. But I love it. And I love because it involves four people going after the same goal. And what I love also about this relay is as the first person takes off on the first leg, they are running full speed, using all their preparation, using all their practice to get their team positioned in order to win the race. And as they're coming around those last few meters, the person who's gonna take the baton begins to run. What's interesting about this relay race is the person that's gonna receive the baton is not sitting down waiting for the baton. They're not like eating the sandwich, drinking the milkshake, going, hey, when they get here, I'll run. No, they are already prepared to run and are in the act of running so that they can better receive the handoff. And the handoff is so important because you can see a race win or loss on the handoff. And it reminds us of where we sit today because we're going to see in Acts 18 and Acts 20 that Paul is running full speed. And he is prepared to hand off this thing called the church, this thing called the gospel, to those who are coming behind him. And you might ask, what does that have to do with me? Well, the person or the people in which he is handing this thing off to is us. So the question this morning is, are we best prepared to receive the handoff to continue to allow this church to be unleashed? There are going to be some takeaways from Paul's life in order to prepare us to be best able to receive the handoff and to run this race with endurance and to run it well. So I invite you, before we dive in, let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that you have called a people such as us to be a part of building your kingdom. Lord, as we navigate life and as we look to what's ahead, a lot of us feel ill-prepared to do what you have called us to do. We don't feel that we've done enough, and we don't feel that we even should be able to do this because we feel very, very unqualified. But Jesus, may we remember 
that we don't qualify ourselves, but have been qualified by your blood that has been shed on the cross. And so because of that, we are all called, we are all appointed to run this race and to run it well. And so, Father, over the next few moments as we open up your word and see what it means to be best prepared and to run this race and to receive the handoff, may we not just be hearers of your word today, but, Lord, may we be willing and may we take the steps necessary in order to run our leg of the race and to run it well. So, Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. And, Jesus, we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen. Last week, we were talking about Acts on Mars. We were talking about Paul on Mars Hill in Acts. And Brady opened up and shared about some idols in our own lives. And I didn't really like that message at all, y'all, because it exposed some things in my life that were off. And whenever you are face-to-face with some struggles or face-to-face with the truth, you have to make a decision what you're going to do with it. And so we talked about that, and we saw that Paul kind of called out these idols and called out this place and said, hey, you have a bunch of idols, but none of them are the right one. And so Paul continued on this, and he went on a third missionary journey, which would take him to many places that he had gone before, but also took him to Ephesus, which we get the letter written to the church in Ephesus called Ephesians. And so it took him there, and we're going to see for Paul, he is headed towards Jerusalem, where he knows that it's going to be a hard time. And eventually, Paul's life is going to end in martyrdom. He's going to be killed for the sake of the gospel, but yet he instructs and encourages this church that's coming behind him to run their race well. And he says, you can look at my life and see how I've run so it can better equip you to run your own race. So if you have your Bibles or whatever it is you read God's word with, turn to Acts 18. And we're going to begin in verse 1. We have a lot of information to cover. I'm going to talk fast so you have to listen fast. And it says this, Acts chapter 1. Acts 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see him, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. You might not know this, but Paul, by trade, was a tent maker. So he meets Priscilla and Aquila, and he's making tents to make money to kind of fund this thing called the gospel and his missionary journeys. And he ends up in a place called Corinth, which you wouldn't think that Corinth would be a part of building the kingdom of God, because Corinth is one of the most immoral places at this time. It's a place that you didn't go to unless you were looking for trouble. You didn't go to Corinth in order to further your good standing or to further your walk with the Lord. You would go to Corinth to sin and sin any way possible. But yet here is Paul. He meets Priscilla and Aquila. And you're going to see through his missionary journey here that he is going to call them into the service of the kingdom. As we dive into our notes, this first part is called the stretching. Because in order to run this race well, we have to stretch. And here's the deal. Nobody enjoys stretching. Nobody. Listen, sometimes when I get on the floor, I pray to God that I can get back up, all right? And after I have my, both of my hip surgeries, I have to stretch, not just to run, because believe it or not, I'm not running a lot of races these days. I'm only running if somebody's chasing me, but here's the deal. 
I have to stretch in order to walk well. Because if I don't stretch, then I'm not going to be as prepared to do what God has called me to do. And the same is true in our spiritual life. There are things that are going to happen in our lives that are necessary that are going to stretch us. And no one's ever excited about the stretching, but here's the deal. Once that stretching is over, we are all glad that we did it because we are better prepared to take the next steps. And so in this stretching, one of the things that we have to learn is this. God is in the business of using the least likely of people in the least likeliest of places. God is in the business of using the least likely of people in the least likely of places. What does that mean for us? There is room on the roster for all of us. We have all been invited to play a part in the kingdom of God. You don't have to have a certain amount of money in the bank. You don't have to come from a certain area. You are invited because God's in the business of using the least likeliest of people in the least likely of places. You just have to be willing to accept the handoff. The other thing is this. God also wants to leverage your gifts and talents for furthering the kingdom. Let me go ahead and tell you something. And some of you might not believe this, but... It doesn't really matter if you believe this or not. God has given everyone gifts and talents in order to help further the kingdom. And you might sit there and go, but Nick, I don't have any gifts and talents. You would lie. You're like, did you just call me a liar? I did. Because by you saying that you don't have any gifts or talents, then you were saying God messed up or God didn't do his part. And I tell you this, God has given each and every one of you Gifts, talents in order to partake and be a part of this kingdom building. So you have gifts and talents. The question is, are you willing to use them and leverage them for kingdom purposes? The question is not if you have them. The question is, are you willing to use them? This is part of the stretching. Acts chapter 18, verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. So here's the thing you need to know about Ephesus. Ephesus is in Asia. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how God closed the door for Paul to go into Asia. Do you remember that? Come on, give me a little head nod. Okay, some of you remember, some of you are like, what are you talking about? It's fine. But he closed the door. And so here, as I'm reading this, I'm going, look, a no now doesn't mean a no forever. See, yes, God said no to them to go to Asia right then, but it doesn't mean that that no was going to be forever. See, some of us, myself included in this, when God tells me no, I get mad, I take my ball, and I go home. Fine, God, if you're not going to answer that prayer, I'm going to do it my own way. And I know none of us in here do that, but I do that. God, you didn't do what I wanted you to do or what I thought you to do, then I'm going to do it my own way. Here is what is true. Sometimes a no is the best answer for us. I don't know if you've ever looked back on your life in hindsight and the thing you wanted a yes to and God said no to, but you were thankful that God said no. There are past relationships, y'all, where I look back on, but praise be to God. Thank you, Jesus. That you said no to that. But during the time, I was like, God, this girl, I think it's the one for me. God, I think this is the way I should go. And God's like, don't do that. Uh Uh-uh. I am so thankful for the no. Why? Because it better positioned me for the yes that was coming. And here's the deal. God uses a no as much as he uses a yes. But also, a no now doesn't mean a no forever. He goes on to say this. 
He was a learned man, talking about Apollos, with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. Verse 26. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Here's what I love about this verse. I think it says a lot about the stretching. See, what I noticed about Priscilla and Aquila when they saw that Apollos might didn't have everything correct, they didn't post on Facebook blasting Apollos, did they? They didn't tweet, go, hey, y'all heard that brother Apollos? He is wrong and God is not with him. They didn't do any of those things. They did this crazy, crazy thing, y'all. Y'all are going to find this so mind-blowing. They went to Apollos and had a conversation with him in order to better help him navigate this life. So for us, some of us, no, no one in here would ever do this. When we don't like something, the first thing we do is to go to social media and let everybody know how much we don't like what somebody else did. Can I maybe suggest something to us? I'm just, just a suggestion. If you have a problem with a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ, pick up the phone and call them and don't blast them on social media. Why? Because it sends two different messages to the world. We see Jesus and his love and this, him uniting this body, and yet what people see is the bride fighting within itself. How about we just have a family conversation and maybe have a face-to-face or call somebody? And that's hard. But what I love about Priscilla and Aquila is they remembered this. We are all still in process, but we are all still able to be used. Can I just tell you, nobody has arrived. So here's the deal. Because nobody has arrived, I'm going to give you freedom to stop pretending that you have it all together. Because you don't. We are not fooling anybody. And Priscilla and Aquila, as they are ministering to Apollos, are going, listen, you are still in process, and it's okay. We all are in process. This is part of the stretching. Verse 27. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those by grace and believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. See, at this point, when we see Priscilla and Aquila ministering to Apollos, Paul had gone to other sites that he was called to. But he sent Priscilla and Aquila to this place in Ephesus in order to encourage the body there. And they were encouraging Apollos. Paul was following the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and so was Priscilla and Aquila. So here's what it means for us. The Holy Spirit is sufficient to lead us. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit is better at leading you than you are at leading you. And some of you are like, you don't know me. I don't have to know you. I know me. Because think about it this way. How many times have you done the very thing you wanted to do and it ended up good? Think about that for a second. Most of the time when I lead me, it doesn't lead any place good, y'all. Why? Because I'm all about Nick. I'm all about 
providing for Nick's needs any way possible. And most of the time when I'm just thinking about Nick, I don't make the best decisions. But what is the Holy Spirit about? He's all about making much of, his, of our Heavenly Father. So everything he leads us to do is going to be a part of building the kingdom. So it is better to say yes to him than to ourselves. Why? Because he's better at doing this job than we are. The Holy Spirit is sufficient to lead us. And Paul believed that. And he walked that out. And it led him to Ephesus, and then it would eventually lead him to Jerusalem, where he was going to surrender his life eventually for the sake of the gospel. But what did he keep doing? He kept saying yes to the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is sufficient to lead us. And it eventually took him to a place where he's meeting with the leaders of the church in Ephesus. And he's going to kind of give them these next steps from his life of how he's going to hand this thing off to them and how he received the handoff well. He's going to give them the mechanics to running. It says this in Acts 20, before we get there, it says this in Acts 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. Can we pause for a second? Paul preached until midnight. Y'all better buckle up. Here we go. He is preaching till midnight. And here's why. I think, for one, he just had a word from the Lord, but there was some urgency because he knew that he needed to share with them how to best receive this handoff called the church, and he did not want to do them a disservice. But Paul preached to midnight. Verse 8. Some of you are looking at your neighbor. Is he really going to go to midnight? I am not, y'all. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a a man named Eutychus, who was singing into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. Can we pause right there? Scripture's funny, y'all. Like, (laughs) Dr. Luke is like, listen, Paul was preaching and preaching and preaching, and Eutychus fell asleep. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Verse 10. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, which is crazy that Paul says this. Hey, y'all, don't be scared. Don't be alarmed. He just fell out the window. Everything's fine. And they're thinking, everything is not fine. Typically, when you tell people to calm down, there's a reason not to be calm. So here's Paul. Hey, don't be alarmed. Jesus got it. He said, he's alive. And the crowd's going, "Um, Paul, I know you're a wise man, but he just fell three stories out the window. That brother dead, dead. (laughs) Verse 11. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Let's pause for a second. Let's just break this down for a second. Paul is preaching until midnight. He had already been preaching for a long time. Eutychus falls out the window and t- because he was in a deep sleep. That's not a I just dozed off in church sleep, y'all. This is like, like it's one of those. It's after Thanksgiving, the full meal, and you are gone. He falls into a deep sleep. Paul says, hey, everybody, calm down. He goes downstairs, goes outside, gets on top of him, and raises him back to life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then what does Paul do? He eats, and then he keeps on preaching. 
And you look at the story and go, okay, Nick, why, why would we take a moment to talk about the story? Here's why. Because I feel like Eutychus represents a lot of us who are in the church. I feel like we have fallen asleep at the wheel. I feel like without even knowing it, we have dwindled the gospel down to just being good. And let me just, let's just have a moment of clarity. The gospel is not about being good. The gospel is about bringing dead things back to life so that they can further the kingdom of God. Let us not be a people that take what Jesus did on a cross and dwell it down just to check it off the right boxes so that we can be good. You have not just been called to be good. You have been called to be a world changer. Through carrying the gospel, through preaching it wherever you are, and painting a picture of Jesus with your life. But yet, we have fallen asleep at the wheel and going, God, man, this Christian life is kind of boring, just checking things off the box. Let me go ahead and say this to you. If you are willing to say yes to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and to where Jesus is leading you, it is never boring. It is never boring. It will take you places you never thought you would go and use you in ways that you never thought you would be used. But the question is, are you willing to be used? Are you willing to accept that handoff and run well? And see, as I was reading this, I went, why would he wake Eutychus up? Because he could have been present with Jesus. Absent here, present with Jesus. And here's why. Because there was work for him to do. Why have you been awakened from death to life? Because God has called you to build his kingdom alongside of him. There is no greater calling in the world than to be a part of what God is doing. So how do we continue to position ourselves to do that? Acts 20, verse 17 says this. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. So Paul is telling these elders, here's how you receive the handoff of this church and how you run this race well. He says this, we all are called to be honest. In verse 18, he says, you know how I have lived. Paul is being honest. Everybody, everybody has stuff. And if we keep that stuff in the dark, it has power over us. But we have been invited to bring those things to light, to share them with our brothers and sisters so that healing can happen. But the only way that's going to happen is we together say, we are going to be honest. The church is a hospital, not a country club. So let us stop pretending that we have everything together, our kids are always behaved, and dinner is always promptly on the table by 6 p.m. That is not real, y'all. But yet, we get in this habit of going, I have to show that my stuff is together because I'm afraid of people seeing me. Listen, if we can't be real with one another, we're never going to get to the place God's calling us to go. Is that difficult? Yes. But is it best? It is. Paul's going, listen, I've been honest with everything. 
I've talked about the thorn in my side. I've talked about the struggle. I've talked about my hardships. I've talked about it all. I have been honest with you. We are called to be honest if we're going to receive this handoff well. Also, be humble. Here's the thing we all need to know and we can never hear it enough. It is not about us. And that's frustrating to me because my whole life, I try to make it about me. But here's the deal. We are a part of the narrative. The narrative is not all about us. We benefit from Jesus in this story he has written throughout time, but the story is not about us. Why is that good news? Because if the story was just about us, it's a small story. But because it's about a king who has redeemed his people, it's a much greater story. So be humble. Acts chapter 20, verse 20. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that will be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Paul goes, listen, in order to be best prepared to receive this handoff, you must speak of the gospel at all times. Let me give a little caveat to this. Not just with your words, but with your life. It is easy for us to put verses on Facebook all the time For us to take pictures of our quiet time, it is a much more difficult thing to live out the gospel with our neighbor who we don't like, with a family member that has hurt us. But if we're going to speak the gospel at all times, it's not just with our mouth, but it's also with our life. Because that typically is what people receive as the truth. So sometimes it's hard for people to receive what we say because they don't see it evidenced in our life. And so for us, as we are receiving this handoff to carry this church and to continue to run this race well, are you living the gospel with your life and with your words? It says this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to God the Father through him. Paul is saying, listen, Everything you do should speak of the gospel. You might be going, Nick, that's a hard standard to live up to. It is. But here's the good news. The Holy Spirit lives within you. So you're not doing it by yourself. Keep saying yes to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and you will live out the gospel in your everyday lives. Verse 22. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. See, Paul kept a heavenly perspective. So he listened to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Wherever the Holy Spirit called him to go, whatever it led him to do, his yes was already on the table. And you see a life that was leveraged well. Here's a question. Is your yes on the table? Do you listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit? Because the next thing, the next mechanic that we have to do in order to run this race well is to be obedient. Nobody likes being obedient. Typically, people don't wake up in the morning and go, man, today is another great day. I just get to be obedient. I'm so glad I'm not in charge of my life. I get to follow what God's... No, no, no. 
That's typically not how we run. My kids don't love being obedient. They're not like, hey, Father, how can we be obedient today? No. In their little heads, I think, today, how can I create havoc, right? But if we are going to listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, then we also have to take that next step, which is obedience. And here's the deal. It is a better yes to say yes to the prompting of the Holy Spirit than to do it yourself. It is. And there are times where we like to give ourselves time or make excuses and we go, hey, Lord, I feel like you're calling me to do this. Everything has pointed to saying yes to this, but I probably need to pray about it a little bit more. Y'all, don't be leveraging prayer to be disobedient. And you might go, Nick, how do you know? I do that. Lord, every door has opened and it's telling me that this is the next step I need to make. But let me just pray about it a little longer because maybe you'll change your mind for me to be obedient. Be obedient. Like, and here's the deal. Sometimes, like, we will see someone in need and we have the means in order to fill that need. And we go, you know what, Lord, I just want to make sure that you are calling me to do that. You don't have to pray about that. Just be obedient. Jesus already said, love your neighbor as yourself. Love widows. Love widowers. If they're hungry, feed them. You don't have to pray about that. Just do it. You know what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do. Take a step. Let us not be a people that are guilty of using prayer as an excuse to not move. Verse 25. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Paul is saying here, be a steward. Of your gifts, your talents, your treasure, be the best steward of everything. And Paul is going, because I have been a steward of my life, I have offered it to my king, and I have followed wherever he has called me to go. He has truly laid down his life in that he knew that that meant it was a call to die to himself, even if it meant a literal death. Diedrich Bonhoeffer says it this way. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. See, as Paul is walking towards Jerusalem, he's going to go through shipwrecks. He's going to go through all kinds of horrendous things, and eventually his life would end at someone else's hands. But he kept walking. Why? Because he wanted to steward his life best, and he wanted his life to count for something. And he knew that by being a part of building the kingdom of God, it's a kingdom that lasts forever, far beyond his life. And the fact that we are gathering together as a group of believers is evidence that what God does lasts longer than even our lives. And Paul lived that with his life. Almost done. Verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. But from your own number, men will rise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul saying, don't fall asleep. 
be prepared for the work of hell. Keep watch. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and always be prepared to take the steps and receive the handoff in which God has for us. It says this in Ephesians 6, a very famous passage of scripture talking about being prepared and not falling asleep. It says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. With the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Paul's like, hey, how, do you, how are you prepared? How do you prepare for the handoff? What do you need? He tells us this is how to be best prepared. He says, don't fall asleep. Be prepared. He also encourages us to run this race with endurance. And I think what Paul is trying to say is this. In the middle of the process, don't lose heart and don't give up. Don't give up one shout short of the walls falling down. Don't give up. God's not forgotten about you. God is with you. He's an ever-present help in time of need. Don't keep up and trust the process. Verse 33. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul says, work hard for the kingdom. It's a worthy cause. Be generous. It is better to give than receive. He closes this chapter of Acts by saying this. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would not see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. And this picture of these group of believers praying together. Paul loved these people well. In order for us to receive this handoff and to continue to further this kingdom and to allow the church to continue to be unleashed, we have to love people well. Why? We love because he first loved us. Who is he? Jesus. See, Jesus has a desire to use each and every one of us. 
And he makes an offer. He gives us an invitation. He says, listen, I want you on my team. I love you. I'm for you. I have invited you to dine at the table. Are you willing to receive what I'm offering? And maybe today, maybe today you find yourself in a place where you have not yet said yes to receiving the gift of eternal life through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection over the grave. Maybe for you, your next step in order to receive this handoff is to accept the initial invitation and to say yes to Jesus. Or maybe you find yourself in a place where you have said yes to Jesus, but yet you haven't taken that next step of obedience, which we believe is baptism. Or maybe for you, the next step in order to receive this handoff is maybe you need to invest in somebody. Maybe you need to find a Timothy or pray about a Timothy. Or maybe you need to find someone who will invest in you, a Paul. Whatever it is, my encouragement to you is take the next step because we get to be a part of building a kingdom that will last forever. It's not temporary and no enemy can tear it down because it has been sealed through the spirit of a living God. Are you willing to receive the handoff and run this race and to run it well? I invite you to pray with me. Jesus, for those of us in this room today, for those of us who are watching online, for those of us who find ourselves maybe in the hard position, Lord, maybe we thought that we were not able to be used. Maybe we thought that the invitation to be a part of Building your kingdom was not for us. Maybe today is the day where we're reminded of what is true and we know that we have been invited and called. And so Jesus, may today be the day where we receive that handoff and receive it well. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you've done all the work and you have invited us into a yoke that is easy. And the reason it is easy is because you did all the heavy lifting. So, Father, may we accept that invitation from you and get in so that you can lead us to where it is you intend for us to go. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. And, Jesus, we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.